0: Right, let's turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans That words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? The context there, we've been looking uh, in recent weeks when we've been here in Romans chapter 8, been looking at uh, what Paul is saying about our present situation. In verse 22, he refers to things that we know. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Then in the verse, one of the verses I just read, in verse uh, 26, uh, 20, uh, he, he says what we don't know. We don't know what we ought to pray for. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. And then verse 28, something we do know. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And it's verse 28 that I want us to be particularly looking at this morning. What Paul says we know. Now, it's one of those verses that actually, um, although it's a, an off quoted verse, it appears differently in different versions of the Bible. There are some variations in manuscripts and so on, we don't need to go into that, but uh, some have it more a a version of, uh, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who have been called according to His purpose, and then there's this way, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. They both really amount to the same thing, Uh, the One version, all things work together for good, often that is just taken out of context and quoted as if everything always works out all right in the end, which of course is not what it's saying. It's talking here about God's purpose, what God is doing. So this version is the one I'm working from. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Just taken out of context, it can become just a kind of glib statement it'll all work out all right in the end, effectively. all things work together for good. It's not what it's saying. It's talking about what God is doing. So he talks there about what we know. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He speaks there of all things, and that's a very totally, obviously, comprehensive term. We know that everything, in everything, God works for good in all things. He's spoken a lot about suffering, in the previous verses. He's spoken about, uh, in verse, uh, verse 17, about sharing in Christ's sufferings. There's that suffering that comes as a result of knowing Jesus, as a result of following Him. Jesus made it quite clear, didn't He? When He invited people to follow Him, He said, if anyone wants to come after Me, let him take up his cross and follow Me. There's a cost involved, the world hates God. The world hates Jesus. If we follow Him, there will be suffering. I came across a, a quotation yesterday from Rick Warren, who said, the more God uses your life, the more you'll be misunderstood and misjudged. That's the price. Are you okay with that? He asked. And that's really what Jesus is saying. If anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross. There is suffering involved in following Jesus. But then Paul goes on in verse 22 and says the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. There's the suffering that comes from just being in this world. A world where there are earthquakes. A world where there is political unrest and turmoil. Christians get caught up in that. Of course they do. In Christchurch, in New Zealand, we, there's a New Frontiers Church there. There are members of the church there whose houses have been destroyed. We're caught up in a groaning, suffering world. There's suffering there. And then in verse 23, he says, "We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, as we wait, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons." There's the suffering of knowing where we're heading, but in the meantime, there are so many frustrations, restrictions, aging, tiredness, all of those things. We, oh, I long for when I'm free of all of that. There's various sufferings. He catches the whole thing up then in verse 35, where he refers to trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. And he says, In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. All of those things that He's spoken about, all of those sufferings, that's the context, but surely we can take it out of its context and say, in everything, not only suffering, but in good things as well. Good as well as bad. Prosperity as well as poverty. Success as well as crushing disappointment in all things, all the various circumstances of life. It's not random, it's not hap- not haphazard. We know that God's hand is, is involved in all of that. And he says, in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now when he speaks of good, he's not just talking about some kind of bland optimism that everything is bound to go well. No, he's talking there about suffering. And the good he's talking about is much more profound than something kind of superficial, just being happy. It's talking about the long-term working through of God's plan. That's what's good. When God's will is ultimately done, and we know he says that in everything, God works for the good the long-term good. In the short term, it doesn't necessarily look good. Think of some of the examples in Scripture. Right back in the book of Genesis, you have the amazing story of a young man called Joseph. If you know the story, you know that he had, to put it mildly, a tough life. His brothers hated him, they were jealous of him. They sold him as a slave. He left home then. He's taken down to Egypt, to a foreign country. There he goes. He's in prison. There are all kinds of things that happen to him. He's misunderstood. He's misjudged. But when it's all over, he says in Genesis chapter 50, when he meets up with those brothers who initially had hated him and sold him as a slave, he says, Genesis fifty twenty, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Look at his story, and all the way through, you say, that doesn't look good. But he said, no, God intended it for good. Ultimately, God's plan works through, even though it looks so terrible every step of the way, God intended it for good. And then a verse that is often quoted, but I'm not sure that People always think of the context in which these words are said in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 uh, and verse 11. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you future, uh, give you hope and a future. Words that are often quoted, and they're wonderful words. God says, I know the plans I've got for you. They're plans to prosper you. But if you look at the context, God is saying to his people who have been taken into exile, you're going to be in exile for the next 70 years. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you. The prospect is then a generation, if not two generations, of suffering and exile. But God says, I know the plans I've got for you. It's to give you a future and a hope. In everything, disappointments, terrible situations, God is working for ultimate good. Even God's discipline, some remarkable words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Corinth, uh, a rather complicated church. A lot of good things happening, but a lot of very bad things. And in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 32, God God says through the Apostle Paul, when we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. What's he talking about there? Well, it's talking about divisions in the church. He's talking about a situation where people are criticizing Paul. They're falling out with one another. They're choosing which of the apostles they prefer to follow. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And we could say, yeah, but that's what, that's what humans are like. That, that kind of happens. Yeah, but not in God's holy people. And because the, the church is meant to be the holy people of God, well, there are things happening that the Corinthians don't understand. There's a lot of sickness around. And, and people have died. And they say, what's this about? Maybe, reading between the lines, they've been praying for people to be healed and they haven't been healed. What's happening? And Paul says, it's God's judgment. If we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord in these sicknesses, weaknesses, and even deaths, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. It's actually good news, although it's bad. God, in everything, works for ultimate good. Sometimes his good hand is severe, but it's a good hand. He has to deal with the things that poison the church there in Corinth, and they're mystified. Why are all these things going wrong? Well, it's God's judgment for your ultimate good. But of course, a better good would be if they judged themselves and didn't do those things. God, in everything, works for our good. Notice also that it says God works in all things. God works. He is active all the time. Never absent. God is always at work. In if it, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says we are God's workmanship. He's at work in our lives all the time. We are all the time on his workbench, if you like, he is always molding us, shaping us, cutting stuff off here, building stuff there. Whatever happens, all the circumstances of life, God is at work. He is always at work. We are always in his hand. Do you remember those wonderful words that Jesus said in, it's recorded in John 10, verse 28. He says, I shall give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's where we are all the time. Whatever's happening, we're in His hand. And His hands are active. In whatever circumstance, He is at work. So, faith looks for the good that God is producing in whatever situation we find ourselves. All things, a comprehensive phrase, in everything, the terrible things, the delightful things, in it all, God's hand is at work and faith looks for that good. Faith looks to trace the hand of God and to learn the lessons that God is teaching to trace His hand and to trust Him. When we go through trials, when we go through difficulties, when our world collapses, self-pity is never a good response. Licking our wounds, resentment, just giving up, saying, I've had it, I'm out of here, just retreating. It can seem safer to retreat. You don't get hurt. But no, that's no answer. The answer is always to say, I'm in his hands. I know I am. And I don't understand why all this is happening, but I don't need to understand. What I do need to know is that in everything, God's working for good. No one can ever snatch me out of his hand, and it's in his hand that I am right now when whatever it is is happening. We know it, Paul says. So often we just see the circumstances, and we react to circumstances. What Paul is saying here is, we need to look above our circumstances and see our Heavenly Father. And He's working, and we're in His hand. And this is no accident. This is no isolated event. This is nothing random or haphazard. There's purpose in it, because there's God. And ultimately for God's people in exile in Babylon, ultimately was 70 years onwards. For Joseph, ultimately, was when he'd really run through most of his life. But the good comes. It's obvious then. Maybe it's only when we see him that we'll realize, I see now how it fitted into the plan. In everything, people of faith say, we know. We know. We choose to see that it's God's hand. Not just other people, not people treating us badly. It's not them, it's not the situation, it's not the earthquake, it's not whatever. It's God, and we're in his hands, and we're safe there, and he is at work. We know it. Think of all the stuff that Paul went through. Terrible things, some delightful things, some wonderful things, exciting things. But he knew what it was to say, everyone left me. He knew what it was to have friends turn against him. He knew what it was to have outright enemies attack him, stone him, leave him for dead. He knew what it was to get flogged, to get shipwrecked. You look at his life. And it's that man who says in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He's not talking just theory here. He's living it and he knows it. However why do we know it? It's not a universal rule that everything always produces good. It applies exclusively. It applies to a particular group. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose This wonderful awareness of being in God's hand, whatever happens, applies to an exclusive group. And that group is described in these two ways. First of all, they are people who love God. People, in other words, who have been converted from natural hostility to God, or a natural just indifference to God a natural unbelief, a natural apathy, whatever it is, but no love for God converted out of that into people who just love Him. People who can't stop worshipping Him. Those who love Him. It's one of these things, isn't it, that when we talk about loving God, expressing emotion to God... It can sometimes, by some people, be seen as maybe a bit kind of, well, you've got to be in touch with your feminine side. That, that, that men can think it's not very manly to express sentiment, emotion, to express love. Paul the Apostle is saying this. Those who love him. Paul is a man's man you think of all the stuff he went through I think of another man's man the other apostle peter fisherman a guy who who knew what it was to uh, to face difficulties and knew what it was uh, to to cope with the elements when he's fishing and so on he's he's a, a tough guy And he says in 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verse 8, talking about Jesus Christ, he says, though you have not seen him, of course for Peter he had, but he says you, you haven't seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Here's Peter the fisherman, the rough guy, working man, who says, we just love him. Why? Well, because in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. That's why we just love Him. These promises about everything working together for good applies to a specific group. Those who love God. Who just love Him. And if you love Him, you express it. If you love Him, it shapes your life, it motivates your life People who love Him. And secondly, those who are called according to His purpose. That's why we have this certainty. Because we love Him, and so we trace His hand in whatever happens. And we know there's a purpose involved. And how do we know there's a purpose involved? Because He called us. So let's unpack that. Think about God's purpose the more I have thought about that, I thought, wow, really, that deserves a whole message all on its own. But, time's against us, so I'm going to deal with it here. God's wonderful purpose, which is all-inclusive, it's from the start of our, well, from conception, or before conception, right through to the end. God's purpose spans all of our life, from start to finish, Nothing overlooked. God has a purpose. God has always been a God of purpose. He never does anything random. God, presumably, I guess uniquely, never has to say, No, I wonder why I did that. He never starts on something and gets distracted and thinks, Oh, wait a minute, I was doing that. He's got purpose. In everything. Everything is done according to his plan. And everything, and this is again unique, everything he plans inevitably succeeds. God never fails in anything. God is never thwarted in anything. How do I know that? Well, I know it because the Bible says it. In Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And verse 24, God says, Surely the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so it will stand. (laughs) It's pretty strong stuff. The Lord Almighty, that's how He's described, has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. As I've purposed, so it will stand. And it goes on, verse 27, For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart Him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? That's God. (coughs) When He plans something, He achieves it. When His hand is stretched out to do something, no one can thwart His purpose, and no one can turn His hand back. He never changes his mind. He is never frustrated. He is never up against a stronger power. He is never up against superior wisdom. Everything he plans inevitably succeeds. That is our God. Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 makes this very deceptively simple statement about God. Ephesians 1, verse 11, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. He always succeeds in His purposes. He he works out everything exactly as He wanted it to be. That's God. God can, and we can't, we can never probe the mind of God. But God can surely look at His creation and grieve over things that are going wrong, grieve over people who are resisting Him, grieve over the consequences of human sin and see the folly of humanity. He can see what people are doing with the wonderful world He made, how they're polluting it, defiling it, destroying it. Surely He doesn't look at that with pleasure. However... His will isn't being frustrated. His plans are not being defeated because He always knew about human sin and from before the creation of the world planned the remedy, before the creation of the world appointed His Son to be the Savior, and history is unfolding according to His plan according to His plan. And history will unfold to the fulfillment of the plan. He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. And Paul here is talking about us being involved in that purpose. And how did we get involved in it? God called us. Those who have been called according to His purpose. Our ability to love God is because He called us. He called us out of where we were, indifferent to God or hostile to God, wherever we were. He, the reason we know Him now, the reason we love Him, is that He called us. It's surely like the, the thing that happened, the wonderful story in John chapter 11, when Jesus' good friend got... Two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. His good friend Lazarus was ill and died. Jesus arrives after Lazarus has died. And he comes to where he's buried. He looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I don't know whether that would be more scary or wonderful or both in equal measure to see this dead man Come out, all bound up in white cloth. Presumably he had to hop out, I don't know. But Jesus just said, Lazarus, come out. And he comes. Jesus called him. He's dead. He can't respond. Jesus didn't perform any ritual. He simply called. And the dead come. When you were saved, if you have been saved, when you were born again, You can think of the circumstances, you can think of who spoke to you, and so we heard Sam's testimony of how he was saved. And he says, it was that evening, he remembers when it was, when he became a Christian. Why did he become a Christian? Actually, because a name was called from heaven. Sam. And he responded. Responded. Your name. If you are born again, your name was called. And you were... Immune to God, incapable of responding, bound up in all kinds of things. It was impossible for you to ever know God, and your name was summoned from heaven. And you came. You came, called according to his purpose. It wasn't random. He always planned it, and it happened at the right time. It's God's unfolding plan. And, and not just called to know Him now, but Paul says in Philippians 3.14, He called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. The summons came from heaven, from God Himself. And He called us towards Him there in heaven, and that's where we're heading That's where we'll finish. That's where we'll end up because we've been called according to his purpose. And the journey we go on from the moment we're saved to the moment we see him, that journey will go through all kinds of different circumstances. Some good, some bad. But it's a summons through all of that. God is calling us. So we know that in everything, God is working for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. It's the plan of God. This powerful, effective, eternity-changing call has summoned us into life. And God isn't going to forget His purpose. And God is not going to renounce the call. He summoned us. He called us. His purpose is working out so Whatever path we take, whatever way that journey leads, he is sovereignly in charge, summoned for a purpose. And that's unstoppable. It's unchangeable. And he is shaping us for when we're going to see him. Some will arrive there through martyrdom. Some will arrive through intense suffering, having known disappointment and thwarted plans all through their life, but they've triumphed, and they've said along with Job, even if he kills me, I'll trust him. And they'll get there with great glory. Great glory because of all they went through. Some will arrive there having had an easy life. Maybe even being prosperous as far as this world regards prosperity. But they've used their prosperity for him. They've never been proud. They've trusted God. And Whatever path we go, married, single, having known an easy life or known a lot of disappointment, having never really suffered or had great tragedies, whatever the roots, he has the right to choose the route we take and he has summoned us through life to be with him forever. And we know that. We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him. So, the unexpected happens. Suddenly, things that we thought were secure and safe are shown to be insecure and far from safe. And we think, what's going on? We think, ha! God's at work. It's God at work. Now I want to learn from Him. He has chosen to put me back in the center of His workbench and He's now doing something. What are you doing, Father? I'm going to trust you through this. I'm going to walk with you through this. Walking with God through life is what we've been called to and we will do it because we know. We know he is sovereign. His purpose succeeds and he called us into him. So we trust his infinitely superior wisdom. We trust his covenant love, his the the Bible refers to unfailing love or steadfast love. It's a, a love that can't be shaken off. I sometimes think of it as stubborn love. God refuses to not love us. He is determined to love us. And we trust that covenant love. We trust His great wisdom. We trust His presence with us through life or death. When we're Believing Him for something. And He appears to have even promised us that. And it doesn't happen. Think, Father, You have the right to lead me up the garden path. You have the right to apparently deceive me. I trust You. I trust You. I don't understand. I thought You said this. And it didn't work out. But I know You. I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. We so easily get diverted into self-pity. We get diverted into saying, well, I'll never believe God for anything again. No, that's not the right response. Though he slay me, I'll trust him because of who he is. His wisdom is far greater. Sometimes when I'm praying, I think of all back through now quite a long life. I think back of the, the paths that I wanted to take and I'd prayed about it, and I was sure that's the path that God is leading, and it's a dead end, and it never happened. And you think, why? I think of all the disappointments. And I look back and say, Father, I am so, so grateful you didn't let me go that way. I'm so grateful that opportunity didn't open up. I'm so, opportuni- uh, so, so grateful that that relationship came to nothing, and I married this lady. <laughs> So grateful for the heartbreaks that led, you know, it's God, it's God, all the way through. The career I wanted, what I thought I was heading for. No, it's God who says, no, you're going this way. And then when everything blows up in your face, you think, ah, this isn't, this is never going to work. Hey, it's God refining. So easy to get proud about things. No, he deals with it. It's God. And you can look back and say, I am so grateful. Can you say that? Are you saying it? Are you thanking God for every pain, every disaster, every disappointment, every frustration, the prophecies that have been spoken over you and they've never been fulfilled? Why? It's God. You're not in the hands of people who are letting you down. You're in the hands of a God who will never let you down. No one can snatch you out of His hand. That's where you are. So you thank Him. You trust Him. And you say, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Lord, I love you. And I know I'm here because you called me out of darkness into your wonderful light. You called me out of death into life. You called me out of an empty way of life into you, oh God. You called me according to your purpose. So we know we're safe. We know we could not be in better hands and he'll never drop us and no one will ever snatch us out of his hand. Life is unpredictable. Change can come unexpectedly, suddenly. Again, mindful of the, the situation in New Zealand where the ground shakes where buildings collapse, and Christians are involved in that. I think life is unpredictable. Financial collapse. Saving for a rainy day. Saving in a pension plan. And then you see financial collapse. A relationship that doesn't work through it. Whatever. Change can come suddenly. Life is unpredictable. But God is constant. His love never changes. And our need then, is not to try and guarantee the future. Not to even try to know the future. Our great need is to know Him. To be confident of it, So we can say with Paul, we know. We know that whatever happens, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to know God. His call is our confidence. Our response to that call, say, Lord, we love you. We love you. Whatever you do, we love you. And we trust you. And we're going to trace your hand, your hand. We're not going to get resentful about people or situations. Lord, we trust you. We're going to trace your hand and worship you for what you're doing in our lives. God loves you. That's why you're here. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you've not yet been born again. And maybe you're here today because he called you. You thought it was your decision to come, but actually there's a decision in heaven. And he called you and he's speaking to you and he's showing you things because he wants to call you into his kingdom to know him forever. It's a wonderful call. It's a call that changes everything. It's a call that takes us on a path that inevitably leads to heaven where all of God's plans inevitably succeed. There is no better place to be and to be in the hand of God. Let's pray.